Eco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. And financially supported by listeners like you. Hello, and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Don Guerra. And now for our environmental headline stories. According to the Louisville Courier-Journal, The Biden administration is making its first significant move toward corralling lingering and widespread problems with toxic ash from coal-fired power plants, one of the nation's most prominent environmental health legacies for more than a century of coal-fired electricity generation. The agency's action could have major implications in states such as Kentucky, Indiana, and Tennessee, each of which has been wrestling with the consequences of huge volumes of waste products left behind by burning coal. It is also where decisions are being made on whether coal ash can be safely entombed where it was once stored in watery pits, or whether the waste should be removed and sent to modern dry landfills with liner systems and other measures to protect groundwater. In 2015, the EPA, under the Obama administration, put forth the first national rules on coal ash, which required most of the nation's approximately 500 unlined coal ash surface impoundments to stop receiving waste and begin closing by April 2021. Those ash dumps laced with contaminants like mercury, cadmium, and arsenic often pollute groundwater and send particulate air pollution into nearby communities. While the Trump administration allowed utilities to request extensions, the Biden EPA announced Tuesday it is taking action on nine of 57 extension applications filed. The New York Times reports America's greenhouse gas emissions from energy and industry rose 6.2% in 2021 as the economy began recovering from pandemic lows and the nation's coal plants roared back to life. The rebound was not a total surprise. The nation's emissions had plummeted more than 10% in 2020, the largest one-year drop on record after the initial coronavirus outbreak triggered widespread lockdowns and energy use plunged to its lowest level in decades. As restrictions eased and economic activity picked back up, emissions were expected to bounce back. The uptick in emissions underscored the challenges President Biden faces in his quest to shift the nation away from oil, gas, and coal and help avert a drastic rise in global temperatures. Biden has set a goal of slashing the nation's greenhouse gas emissions at least 50% below 2005 levels by 2030, which is roughly the pace that scientists say the whole world must follow to keep the Earth from warming more than 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit above pre-industrial levels and minimize the risk of catastrophic effects. The planet has already warmed 1.1 degrees Celsius over the past century. 
But after last year's rebound, U.S. emissions are now just 17.4% below 2005 levels. Several recent studies have found that the United States is likely to fall far short of achieving Biden's climate goals without major new policies to speed up the transition to wind, solar, and other clean energy. Duke Energy defined its long-term plans in an op-ed in the Bloomington Herald Times. Duke plans to replace most of its coal-fired plants with natural gas, wind, and solar. They claim they can meet the Biden 2050 goals. Duke is keeping some natural gas capacity in order to generate when wind and solar are not meeting demand. Duke should get behind the Grain Belt Express, which would bring wind power from Kansas to Sullivan. This project has been in the works for at least a decade. The holdup is gaining right-of-way in Missouri. The agency denied three, including one filed by the Clifty Power Plant in Madison, Indiana. It improved one at East Kentucky's Power Spurlock Power Plant in Maysville, Kentucky, and found four incomplete and one ineligible. More determinations, EPA officials said, are coming. The New York Times reports America's greenhouse gas emissions from energy and industry rose 6.2% in 2021 as the economy began recovering from pandemic lows and the nation's coal plants roared back to life. The rebound was not a total surprise. The nation's emissions had plummeted more than 10% in 2020, the largest one-year drop on record after the initial coronavirus outbreak triggered widespread lockdowns and energy use plunged to its lowest level in decades. As restrictions eased and economic activity picked back up, emissions were expected to bounce back. The uptick in emissions underscored the challenges President Biden faces in his quest to shift the nation away from oil, gas, and coal and help avert a drastic rise in global temperatures. Biden has set a goal of slashing the nation's greenhouse gas emissions at least 50 percent below 2005 levels by 2030, which is roughly the pace that scientists say the whole world must follow to keep the Earth from warming more than 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit above pre-industrial levels and minimize the risk of catastrophic effects. The planet has already warmed 1.1 degrees Celsius over the past century. But after last year's rebound, U.S. emissions are now just 17.4% below 2005 levels. Several recent studies have found that the United States is likely to fall far short of achieving Biden's climate goals without major new policies to speed up the transition to wind, solar, and other clean energy. Duke Energy defined its long-term plans in an op-ed in the Bloomington Herald Times. Duke plans to replace most of its coal-fired plants with natural gas, wind, and solar. They claim they can meet the Biden 2050 goals. Duke is keeping some natural gas capacity in order to generate when wind and solar are not meeting demand. Duke should get behind the Grain Belt Express, which would bring wind power from Kansas to Sullivan. This project has been in the works for at least a decade. The holdup is gaining right-of-way in Missouri. Thomas McDermott, Jr., the mayor of Hammond in northwest Indiana, is moving ahead with an overpass construction project that would cut into the Briar East Woods, one of the last remnants of the 4,000-year-old high Tolstone shoreline dunes in the Hessville neighborhood. Concerned citizens have started an online petition to save the forest. Hammond is surrounded by oil tank farms, environmental degradation, 
major industry and a Superfund site. In the heart of the town stand the dune, woodland, and wetlands, the high tollstone shoreline dunes. They contain red-tailed hawks and various types of owls, plus soaring and perched bald eagles. Thousands of migrating birds rely on those woods before their journey up Lake Michigan. The area contains a lake and wetlands where giant blue herons, double-crested cormorants, and many other waterfowl gather. The supposed rationale for the overpass is that in Hessville, trains block crossings. This problem has become progressively worse over the last couple of decades. The city of Hammond wants to solve the problem by cutting through the center of the dune woodlands to build an overpass to skirt the trains. At a recent event, Mayor McDermott defended his administration's plans to construct the overpass despite near-universal opposition by the community members in attendance, who believe, further, that the overpass is part of a stealth plan to eventually gentrify the wooded area with a new subdivision. Iowa is already a leader in renewable energy use, generating 57.6% of its power through existing wind and solar facilities. Indiana generates 8% of its power through renewables. Now, Mid-American Energy is announcing plans for a $3.9 billion renewable energy project in Iowa. The Wind Prime project would explore new technologies to advance Mid-American Energy's transition to net-zero greenhouse gas emissions. Quote, Iowa is a renewable energy leader, thanks in large part to Mid-American Energy's proven track record of clean energy commitments and investments that are a true competitive advantage for our state, end quote, according to Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds. Mid-America's Wind Prime is a commitment and investment on a whole new level, cementing Iowa's clean energy leadership for many years to come. Iowans readily accept renewable energy, whereas gaining approval in Indiana is most often a long struggle. Mid-American estimates that the Wind Prime project will create more than 1,100 full-time jobs during the construction phase and another 125 full-time positions for ongoing operations and maintenance. In addition, Wind Prime will provide an average of $24 million plus per year in local property tax payments on wind turbines and solar facilities, as well as more than $21 million in annual landowner easement payments. If the project is approved, the company plans to complete construction in late 2024. The Canadian nuclear industry plans to send 300,000 shipments of highly radioactive nuclear waste through densely populated Ontario communities and farmland by truck and train. The radioactive waste would consist of 5.5 million spent nuclear fuel rods from nuclear reactors and interim storage facilities. The project is to take place over four decades, starting in the 2040s. The destination of the waste would be either South Bruce or Ignace in Ontario. Currently, scientists are studying the ancient bedrock beneath both communities to determine whether the geology is appropriate for deep geologic repository, a $23 billion tomb in which Canada could dispose of its entire stockpile of nuclear waste for millennia. Selection of a site is expected to take place next year. The chosen community would receive an average of 654 shipments a year, or almost two a day. The radioactive waste could travel along Ontario rail routes, 400 highways, and even city streets as it makes its way to the dump. 
The Nuclear Waste Management Organization, which came up with this scheme, says it's confident it can safely transport used nuclear fuel, but that the likelihood of an accidental radiation release, particularly because of a crash, depends largely on the safety of the containers carrying the spent fuel rods. The company says nuclear shipping containers have been tested extensively according to international standards. The containers have been dropped, submerged in water, punctured, rammed by a speeding locomotive, and set on fire with propane and jet fuel. Bill Knoll, a resident of South Bruce and vice president of the Citizens Group Protecting Our Waterways, No Nuclear Waste, isn't impressed. He complained that, quote, The plan is vague on details and is more of a plan for a plan. Information that should be easy to arrive at is always changing, end quote. The Lancet, a prestigious British medical journal, has announced that the climate crisis is sure to become the, quote, defining narrative of human health, end quote. The journal noted that food shortages, lethal disasters, and disease outbreaks would far outstrip the harms from the COVID-19 pandemic. Over 100 physicians and other health experts contributed to the annual report entitled Countdown on Health and Climate Change, and they said that vigorous efforts to cut greenhouse gas emissions could prevent millions of unnecessary deaths. Over a dozen measures of humankind's exposure to health-damaging weather extremes have grown since last year's report. With reference to the Lancet report, Lachlan McIver, a physician and member of Doctors Without Borders, who wasn't involved in writing the report, commented, quote, If nothing else will drive the message home about the present threat that climate change poses to our global society, this should, end quote. The Lancet report is not the only warning health professionals have issued about burning fossil fuels and other human activities that heat the planet. In a special report released a week before the Lancet report, the World Health Organization called the climate crisis, quote, the single biggest health threat facing humanity, end quote, also cautioning that its effects could be more dire and persistent than the pandemics. The World is One News is an Indian multinational English-language news channel headquartered in New Delhi. It reported on changes in permafrost areas. Russia is especially vulnerable because 65% of the country is in the permafrost zone. It has been well established through various studies that the Arctic permafrost has been warming and in many areas thawing since the 1980s due to climate change, but new research has claimed that continuous warming could pose a danger to humans who have established settlements in the Arctic areas. According to an article published in Nature Review's Earth and Environment, the scientists have said that buckling roads, cracks appearing in building foundations, and ruptured pipelines are likely to become a common sight in and around the Arctic as warming temperatures cause the frozen ground to thaw. They have warned that by 2050, as much as 50% of Arctic infrastructure could be at high risk of damage, requiring at least $15.5 billion in maintenance and repairs. It is already being witnessed in the permafrost areas of northern Russia, Alaska, and Canada, where around 5 million people live. By analyzing the satellite imagery, they estimate that at least 120,000 buildings, 25,000 miles of roads, and 6,000 miles of pipelines could be at risk, highlighting threats to some Canadian highways, the transatlantic pipeline system, and three sizable Russian cities. 
One million species are at risk of extinction. Scientists are warning that humanity is causing the sixth mass extinction in the planet's history. A series of reports from the United Nations Environment Program, or UNEP, UNEP, highlights how human activities threaten the healthy functionings of ecosystems that produce food and water, as well as the one million species at risk of extinction. The UNEP report, Food System Impacts on on biodiversity loss identifies the global food system as the primary driver of biodiversity loss. The report points to the conversion of natural ecosystems to crop production and pasture with a concomitant use of toxic chemicals, monocultures, and production of greenhouse gases. The EPA continues to allow the use of pesticides and other chemicals that it recognizes contribute to the problems. The United Nations Convention on Biological Diversity is the international legal instrument for, quote, the conservation of biological diversity, the sustainable use of its components, and the fair and equitable sharing of benefits arising out of the utilization of genetic resources, end quote. A hundred and ninety-six nations, all the members of the United Nations except the U.S. and the Vatican, have ratified the convention, which includes 21 target actions to be achieved by 2030, including reducing pesticide use by two-thirds and eliminating plastic waste. The U.S. hasn't yet done its part. Congress can ratify the Convention on Biological Diversity, and the EPA can incorporate the convention targets into its programs. The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist introduced its Doomsday Clock, a visual symbolic representation of a clock face that shows how close humanity is to self-destruction 75 years ago. Currently, the clock's hands are set at 100 seconds to midnight, the closest to midnight they've ever been, and the same as last year. Each year, the clock's hands are moved forward or backward according to how vulnerable the planet is to catastrophe. Midnight represents the end of the world as we know it. The issues of concern that inspired the current hands position, the scientists noted, were nuclear proliferation, the climate crisis, the COVID pandemic, cybersecurity, and the impacts of misinformation and disinformation on social media. Rachel Bronson, the Bulletin's president and CEO, said at a Zoom press conference, quote, The doomsday clock continues to hover dangerously, reminding us how much work is needed to ensure a safer and healthier planet. We must continue to push the hands of the clock away from midnight." End quote. Last year's average temperature globally was either fifth or sixth highest on record, depending on who's measuring. U.S. scientists announced that latest data recently and European researchers earlier this week. The globe is vast and the weather variable. Some years are cooler than others. The trend, though, is clear. By NASA's records, which go back to 1880, Earth's seven warmest years were the past seven, the agency said. In 2021, both the U.S. and Europe sweated through their hottest summers on record. That helped fuel wildfires of rarely seen intensity. Worldwide, an estimated 1.8 billion people live in countries that had their warmest years in local history. The amount of heat in the world's oceans was greater than ever before last year, according to a study published recently. The oceans absorb most of the extra heat that the greenhouse effect is adding to Earth. How can the world stave off the most devastating climate effects? At COP26, the global summit last fall in Glasgow, countries agreed to curb emissions of heat-trapping gases, but their success, even at keeping their own promises, is hardly a given. According to The Guardian, 
20 of Yellowstone National Park's renowned gray wolves roamed from the park and were shot by hunters in recent months, the most killed by hunting in a single season since the animals were reintroduced to the region more than 25 years ago, according to park officials. One pack, the Phantom Lake Pack, is now considered eliminated after most or all of its members were killed over a two-month span beginning in October, according to the park. Now, only an estimated 94 wolves remain in Yellowstone, but with months to go in Montana's hunting season and wolf trapping season just getting underway, park officials say they expected more wolves to die after roaming from Yellowstone, where hunting is prohibited. The park superintendent, Cam Shawley, has urged Montana's Republican Governor Greg Gianfort to shut down hunting and trapping in the area for the remainder of the season. Wolves were reintroduced in the park in 1995 in an effort to control the elk population. The elk were overgrazing the natural plants in the park. The wolves have performed well, and the park has a better plant balance. Their natural range includes areas outside the park, thus exposing them to hunters. Scientists have issued a dire warning about chemical pollution. The insidious mix of synthetic chemicals that permeates the earth, according to scientists, threaten the stability of the global ecosystems that humanity depends on. The mix consists of plastics and 350,000 synthetic chemicals, only a minute fraction of which have been tested for safety, but have been released into the environment anyway. Among those chemicals are pesticides, industrial compounds, and antibiotics. Plastics are ubiquitous. They collect at the summits of the highest mountains and in the deepest trenches of the oceans. Many of the chemicals, like the PCBs that Westinghouse contaminated the Bloomington area with, don't biodegrade for eons. All those chemicals threaten the Earth's systems by harming the biological and physical processes that underlie all life. The study of the planet's chemical pollution, published in the journal Environmental Science and Technology, says that society needs to cap chemical production and emissions, just as carbon targets aim to cap greenhouse gas emissions. Chemical pollution has accumulated to the point that human-made changes to the Earth have propelled the planet outside the stable environment of the last 10,000 years. Professor Bethany Carney Almroth, part of the research team, said, quote, There is evidence that things are pointing in the wrong direction every step of the way. For example, the total mass of plastics now exceeds the total mass of all living mammals. That, to me, is a pretty clear indication that we've crossed a boundary." End quote. The petrochemical industry, though, intends to increase plastic production in the coming years. Environmental groups hoping to see meaningful legislation action on issues ranging from coal ash regulation to management of wetlands may be disappointed when the Indiana General Assembly wraps up its abbreviated session in mid-March. The newspaper in Anderson, Indiana, says lawmakers from both parties, as well as representatives from several conservation groups, expressed muted expectations for most of the legislation related to the environment that's expected to be taken up over the next several weeks. Notable to some groups this session is a bill co-authored by Sue Arrington, Democrat of Muncie. House Bill 1334 would authorize property tax deductions for landowners who maintain qualified wetlands areas. The legislation was just filed after the passage last year of a bill that allows development of wetlands that occupied cropland as long as that land was used for agriculture within the last decade. Advocates say this year's bill, authorized by Representative Pat Boy, Democrat of Michigan City, 
would help mitigate the impact of what they see as a negative outcome with last year's legislation, which some believe will reduce state oversight of wetlands protection. Quote, We've been losing wetlands for many, many years, end quote, said Tim Maloney, Senior Policy Director for the Hoosier Environmental Council. Quote, Indiana lags well behind many states in its investment in protecting outdoor spaces, and we've seen during the pandemic that people have been flocking to trails and parks and other outdoor places as a safe way to recreate and meet family and friends. Just for the physical benefits and emotional well-being of dealing with the daily stresses of life, which have been magnified by the pandemic, these are healthy places to be. End quote. Opportunities for wind and solar power to assume a more prominent place in the state's energy portfolio are the focus of legislation authored by Senator Tim Lanane, Democrat of Anderson. Senate Bill 127 authorizes what Lanane calls a study of the potential for environment-related jobs in the state. It calls for Indiana University's Paul H. O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs to provide a forecast of job creation, economic growth, and revenue for Indiana communities that could result from the growth of green-related industries. Previous studies have estimated that if the state converted power generation to wind and solar, 50,000 well-paying jobs would be created. For EcoReport, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Don Guerra. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience in all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. The Eagles Over Monroe Self-Guided Bald Eagle Driving Tour and Scavenger Hunt will continue from January 28th through the 30th from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Access the online interactive map at bit.ly slash Monroe Lake Eagle Guide. The scavenger hunt involves looking for six letters of the alphabet that are slightly hidden. Once you find all of the letters, unscramble the letters and mail your answer to jvance at dnr.in.gov. If you like eagles, plan to take the Eagles Over Monroe Bald Eagle Hacking Tower Hike in the North Fork service area of Monroe Lake on Saturday, January 29th, from 10 to 11.30 a.m. You will hike to see the remnants of the Hacking Tower, where the eagles were raised, and the Observation Tower, where a wildlife biologist observed the birds as they took their first flights. Contact is httpbit.ly forward slash hacktowerhike Jan 29, 2022. Spring Mill State Park is hosting a lime kiln hike on Saturday, January 29th at 1 p.m. Meet Tony at the Lakeview Activity Center for a hike to the historic lime kilns. Learn how lime was made and about the owner of the kilns. This is an off-trail hike that is partially rugged. The Hinkle Garten Farmstead Open House is scheduled for Saturday, January 29th from 1 to 4 p.m. 
The theme is Chase the Cold Winter Away. Featured for sale is the new cookbook written by Daisy Hinkelgarten titled Call to Lunch. In addition, you may purchase maple syrup made at the farmstead. There will be tours, but COVID practices will be in place and masks are required. If you have not taken the Fire Tower hike at McCormick's Creek State Park, you now have the opportunity on Friday, February 4th from 3 to 4 p.m. Meet in the Inn's lobby, then take an easy one-half-hour hike to the historic and recently renovated Fire Tower. In the winter months, climbing the tower is permitted only during guided hikes. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Don Guerra. And this is Eco Report. <laughs>